Hey, this is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. And if you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsis. He's prepared to ignite. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting, meaning leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's session. This is a mashup, and I've been asking the question around who is your favorite leader and why? Now, this person can be alive or from history. And before we go any further, team, I just wanted to say to you that if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, go ahead and do that. We would love to see you on those platforms. Of course, it's called Leadership is Changing, and we'd love to see you do that. Hey, share this episode with three other people. Love to you to get that out to people, which is all great. Hey, when I did these recordings that I'm about to share with you, it was just about the time whereby we had been into lockdown for probably just over a month, month and a half, two months. And so what we found is that a lot of countries were in that lockdown period. But, you know, it's just wonderful to be able to share this information with you, bits of it, you know, parts of it as well. And this is what the mashup's about. But what we know is that a lot of countries are going back into lockdown again. And a lot of countries are finding that they're in and out, what we call the yo-yo effect in and out of lockdowns, and we're seeing numbers increasing and so forth. And so team, I know from a mental health perspective for a lot of people that I'm working with, they're finding it quite difficult at the moment, having to work from their apartments, their their houses and so forth, and it's just getting a lot very tiring for them. A lot of them are physically, mentally, and emotionally tired, and this is what I'm saying to them, that they need to get some positivity and some some time out if they can, away from where they are. If they can go for walks and, and do or run and things like that, that's good. But get some positivity into you as well, because there's a lot of doom and gloom that we're hearing because of these cases and other things and people dying, which is really, really sad to see. But the thing here is, what can we do in the way of getting some positivity around them? And I'm I'm encouraging them to listen to podcasts, and in particular, this podcast, because there are some great things being shared by various leaders, some great positivity, some great learnings, and able to take things and move forward. All right, I've got two guests for you today, really, really cool. One in particular is a guy called James Ronesbush, and James was working with President Ronald Reagan many years ago, and James is an author of a few books, but a wonderful guy, and you'll notice that when we start the recording with James, 
it's more or less you probably won't even you won't even hear me ask him the question about who's your favorite leader why he's just into it he's into it about the leadership is changing around the whole podcast but about who his favorite leader is and so forth and so you'll get to hear that towards the end of that piece of the recording with him and then the other one is Richie Barnett. Richard Barnett is his name officially, but his name's, uh, we call him Richie. And Richie is an international sports star. He was a captain of the rugby league team and played for the New Zealand team and a, a great guy. So he's into business and that nowadays, which is brilliant. And he shares his experiences on the field and off the field as a leader, but also sharing who his favorite leader is and why. So team, what I'm going to encourage you to do is take notes, some wonderful things that both these people are sharing with you or with us, and I'm going to encourage you to take those notes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the mashup. Richie, here's a question for you, and that is, who's your favorite leader? Now, that person could be alive or can be from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Crikey, that is, that's. And we haven't, I haven't even seen these questions either, so it's not premeditated. <laughs> I, I'd have to say Tony Robbins mm. uh, is my absolute influencer. I'll listen to him every day. Why? Because he understands people the most. He's able to turn the dial and there's a hidden force in everybody. We're not attaching it in the right way. We're not influencing people and influencing ourselves because we've got the ability to access that very thing but we just don't know how to do it Dennis you know but we're learning from paper we're hearing things but we're not getting that essence of drive that emotional drive that's in us that we've all got we just we just yep. don't know how to access it and he does it in such a, a fascinating way that it just encourages me I see him cry a lot of the times so this is a guy that's influenced 50 million people He's mm -hmm. gone to over, you know, 200 million people. He, he, he travels every year trying to influence. He's not a motivator. He's not a motivator. He doesn't like the motivation tag. He understands how that brain works. And that's what yep. I love about him. Love him. Yeah, and I, and I, and I, and I, I love what you are saying about, uh, and I think you just hit the nail on the head whereby he understands people and he knows how to dial in and tune in. So I think, you know, as a leader to influence is also understanding people, but being able to dial in to be with that person and understand what, but what you were saying before about understanding from their perspective as well. That's, that's really good to see. Can you give us a little bit more about your background, please? I can, but I, I have to start by saying how fascinated I am by your subject and the show that you do. I think it's so important because I think there are two constants that are with us now with regard to leadership. And one is that we have complete disruption that is not going to disappear. And disruption is something that I view as positive. I thrive on disruption, but a lot of people don't. Some people, some leaders can use disruption actually in a negative way. I've uh, worked for and I've had clients, for example, that run their companies by making disruption the rule of the day in order to control people. That's the negative use and employment of disruption. I've seen people who use disruption to create growth, uh, which is tremendously important. Uh, the second phenomenon that we have today is we have this tremendous leadership gap. So I have examined uh, through my work in writing in leadership 
over 300 or 400 different schools and university and education systems around the world. And we have more leadership institutes, more leadership centers, more training programs for leadership today in the world than we've ever had before. But guess what we have less of? We have less leadership. So uh, this is this is a conundrum to me. I don't understand why it is. In fact, I myself started a leadership institute when I was running a school. I was doing a turnaround of a, a prep school and I thought I'm going to convert it into a leadership center. And so I, I went down this path of creating true leadership incentives and training. And I brought in people who could mentor these people and, and provide great examples. But I I figured that. The reason we don't have great leadership today is we don't have as much conviction to lasting principles as we've had before. And we have people who are trying to promote themselves. And by that, I mean egos that are trying to promote themselves. So we have this phenomenon of influencers that have taken the place of leaders And you know what I mean when I say that people today, they want to be influencers because they make money from it. So you see people Mm -hmm. talking about leadership that if they get up a million followers, then they get companies, oh, drive my Mercedes Benz for me, wear my Prada suit, all this kind of stuff, right? So that's what they're looking for. But are they truly trying to enhance culture? So social media has degraded culture by cheapening it and taking away accountability. So when I was running, going back to that school for a second, so I had to lay off some people. So I was hired by the trustees of of this school, basically to work out the investment side. So once I got into it, I saw all this corruption and they said, oh, you have to be the head of the school. And I said, I'm not going to be the head of the school, but I'll help you out for a period of time and I'll hire a new head for you, right? Well, I ended up spending two years there. And (laughs) I saw that the lack of, conviction and commitment to morals. And I'm not talking about sexual mores, but I'm talking about honesty, integrity. These are things that are the rock bedrock, basically, that leaders in the past have used to speak from. So today, I just saw this replacement of, and and this is really at all ages and all groups today, replacement of leadership with ego. So you asked me that. I'm sorry that I interjected that little coda there or the opposite of a coda, that little intro there. But you really got me turned on to leadership there. But I'll tell you about the first job I ever had and the leader that I worked for and how he was transformed. So I went to work for the family office and founder of General Motors. No, no slouch. Right. So this was his uh, foundation. And uh, the third week that I was there, I was sitting at my desk and I heard machine gun fire through the front doors of our office, these glass, plate glass front doors. So they were crashed, cracking glass everywhere. We didn't even know the word terrorist at the time, but we grabbed our phones and dove under our desks, right? So these were six ski mask gunmen who were there to not take us hostage because we, we were valueless, but they wanted to take hostage the son of the wealth creator. So he got thrown into a room size safe Today, kids wouldn't know what a room size safe is, but it's a room with a big door on it and you turn the lock and you know you protect it. So he was thrown in there, right? So this is what happened. So after five hours, we were led down the fire escape by the SWAT team who got rid of the terrorists. And there was no loss of life. The terrorists were arrested, but this is what happened. 
So that man, he was thrown into this room-sized safe. He was obviously terrorized, right? So when he came out, he emerged as a new person. Mm. This is what happened. This was a man who was a son of great wealth. He was a wonderful person, and, and he was a personal friend of, of mine and my family. And he was, you know, he was, he was an upstanding citizen, but he lacked fire. He lacked leadership ability, and he lacked any kind of passion in his life, I think because he was a son of wealth, and, and he didn't really have to go out and change the world uh, to make money, right? His father did that. His father created the automobile, right? So he becomes a brand new person. And he says to me in three weeks after that, he said, Jim, I want you to create, I want you to pull together our trustees and our staff. And I want you to put on, I was 20 years old. He, he said, I want you to put on a planning session, a strategic plan called that where we are, we had answer the question, are we having an impact? Are we having an impact through our philanthropy and through our investing? So I had to develop algorithms that would show us whether every dollar we were spending in both of those categories was having a desirable impact and what that impact should be. That is, are we moving the needle in terms of improving public housing? Are we moving the needle in terms of, of making enough money by our investments to satisfy the cash requirements of the family, but also the things that we should be focused on? So it was an enormous project. This man, for the rest of his life, and he had 30 more years after that, he, he became vibrant. He was turned on to life. He was a completely changed person. And I wrote an article about this several years ago, and I didn't want to be presumptuous just taking my view of this gentleman. So I wrote, mm -hmm. I, sent the, I sent the article to one of his daughters or his daughter, and I said, would you corroborate this? Because, you know, today you can be challenged with all kinds of people saying, well, you were lying, you weren't telling, all this kind of stuff, right? So she said, absolutely. I saw this change take place in my father as well. So what I'm bringing out here is that the extreme adversity of the man must have been scared out of his. I mean, we were scared to death. He must have been scared out of his wits. Right. So a lot of times and this is what we have taking place. Um, I was a speaker at a group uh, yesterday morning about about what we have going on in this country in terms of race and what we have in terms of Black Lives Matter and, and all this sort of thing. And so there was a tremendous discussion about, you know, can you affect change? without disruption? Well, usually not. You know why? Because people don't change. Typically, they don't change unless they're in pain. And even when they're in pain, they rarely change. And this is something that is, I think, fundamental to leadership training is to, in, in my new book, I talk about that the voice you speak with, the words you speak are rarely heard by the listener the way you think you're speaking them. So if I was to say to you, Dennis, hey, let's grab a beer after work, you might think, oh, Jim is saying to me, someday, let's grab a beer after work, whereas I may be saying today, let's gra grab, so that's a simplistic hmm. example, right? Yeah. But rarely are your words or your actions taken the way you intend them to be. And that's largely because we don't have much capacity in terms of understanding and feeling the pain of other people. And I think that came full circle to me yesterday morning when I was on this podcast that had to do with race, that when this young man who was leading the podcast who was an African-American, he said to me, do you know what it's like to drive in a car and to fear every minute you're driving the car that you're going to be stopped, pulled over and arrested? 
for doing nothing, no, no abuse of the law. And how could I say to him, oh, yes, I empathize with you. It's ridiculous. Hmm. And, you know, the ability, I think, as a leader to not only communicate effectively, but to lead has so much to do with your ability to understand the people you are leading and what yeah. their pain is and where their hurt is and what their challenges are and what they're really asking for. And in order to do that, I think, again, this goes back to why we don't have a, as many great leaders today. You really have to feel the pain of the people that you're leading. You know, we had the tremendous failure of leadership on the part of so many corporate CEOs like the famous case of the British petroleum guy who, after the great biggest oil spill in, in the history of mankind, he says he wants to be back on his yacht in England, you know, enjoying himself. I mean, that, that's he obviously he lost his job and a lot of equity value for BP. But, you know, it's, it's unthinkable that someone in a modern age and in a job of heading a massive global corporation like that could even speak those words. But mm. it certainly betrayed him. Yeah, yeah. Sounded more like he was out of touch with his actual audience, of course. Uh, yeah. So, James, uh, the, what you've just shared with us there right in the opening has just been really awesome and just some fantastic stuff about disruption. And, and the very first thing you said about disruption, people thrive in it, people are positive about it, and people are negative about it. I just love the way that you've shared that as well. Um, going right through to even what you just said in the last statement just then about, you know, about how can you – if you've got to listen as a leader, you have to understand your audience for sure. Uh, it's really, really important um, for it as well. When, when you say that bedrock of honesty and integrity, can you give us a little bit more about that? What, what do you mean by the bedrock of honesty and integrity? These are qualities that I saw exemplified in the great leader that I had the privilege of working for. So here I go to, by the way, the story I just told you about the terrorists taking us hostage 10 years later. And because with that, uh, the responsibility that man laid on me to create the impact strategy, I was in the White House delivering the nation's impact initiative on behalf of President Reagan. So mm -hmm. these are all things that I think everyone's career and, and life follows a, a pattern. And, uh, you know, it could be brilliant, it could be challenging, but uh, this was the, where I was led, and thankfully. But here I had an opportunity to observe what everyone calls, any critic puts Reagan in the top five of all U.S. presidents, right? So why was he, okay? So this is what I examined in my last bestseller, True Reagan, as you mentioned. So Reagan, I didn't understand him. When I, when I went to work there, I was not from California. I didn't come from the film industry. I didn't work in his campaign. I supported him politically. I voted for him. And fortunately, my wife and I had an opportunity to meet the Reagans during the campaign when he came to uh, debate Jimmy Carter in Cleveland, where I was working and heading the Standard Oil Foundation at the time. So that, that was a great privilege. I didn't think at that time that I was going to be invited to go work in the White House, but that after he was elected, his team called me and they invited me. And first, you know, you're going to laugh at this, but I said, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> inconceivable, right? But uh, yeah. I liked my job and everything. So I slept on it, right? So uh, after 24 hours, I called them back and I said, hey, could you I reconsider that? Take back that? No. And so <laughs> sure. I said, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, well, we don't know. And I said, well, I have to have a job to, you know, quit my current job, right? And they were mm -hmm. like, yeah, well, you have a job, you have a job, you have a job. And I said, well, what is it going to be? And they said, you pick, you pick, you just say whatever job you want. 
It was wow. weird, right? Have you ever heard of yeah. something like that? I, I thought yeah. it was weird. So yeah. they send me a book of a list of all the jobs the president could appoint. And I chose the job of being his li- liaison with the business community because that's where my, my leadership is. So anyway, I go to work in this job and then eventually I get asked to, to do other things and I became close to the Reagans. But I still couldn't figure them out. Right. So I felt like in order to do my best job, which is what I try to do when I'm I'm an interim CEO or I'm in an advisory capacity for companies around the world, I have to figure it out first. And usually I'll say, could you just go away and let me listen to this company, listen to its people, listen to what's going on. I have to enter a listening mode first, right? I have to put my ear to it. I have to figure out what are the markets telling me about this company? What is the company telling me about? I have to listen in order to figure out what its critical needs are. So I had to say, do the same thing with the regs. Like, who are these people, right? So now that might seem strange to you, but you know, every president, I mean, or whether it's a company, they come with their own background and their right? Their, their own experiences. And yep. so I've just had a career where I've worked for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies because I'm an advisor to companies, right? So that's given me this broad gauge and sweep of the corporate, political, philanthropic, NGO sectors all across the globe, right? So I see the this Ronald Reagan. I'm like, so in, in our early days there, he and I were in the presidential limousine alone together one day and we were going to, he was going to give a speech and I, you know, I was accompanying him and I thought, well, I, you know, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to brief him on the speech. Right. So I started to tell him, he said, no, Jim, no, no, no. I, I know, you know, his personal aide had already briefed him. I, and then I sat there, I thought, oh my gosh. So, you know, and then there was a delay in the motorcade which actually turned out to be a uh, divine uh, operation coincidence, right? So then I thought, well, what are we going to talk about now? So he unfolded for me in the next 30 minutes, his life as he saw it. Now, this ah. was invaluable to me, right? So he explained to me how the most important person in his life was his mother and why she was important and what she gave him and what she demanded of him. And I began what began to emerge in my mind. This is not a person that people know, because, of course, any any conservative president in the United States and probably other countries as well as just comes up against the the liberal media all the time. We had all kinds of protests. You know, it was just as it was as bad. People think today is bad in America. Well, it was just as bad then. But now I'm saying to myself, what he's telling me is not what the public picture is, how mm. he was brought up, his faith. He grew up poor. I mean, his parents never even owned a home or an apartment. They, they lived in rented houses. His father was an alcoholic. He, uh, you know, all of these things that I was really learning, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I was really learning for the first time. I mean, I knew the basics about him, but so he's pouring out his heart to me, right? And I just kept asking him questions, perhaps in ways that other, uh, you know, uh, senior aides to the president, you know, had never asked him before. I don't know why, because there have been, you know, there were many people there that had been with Reagan much longer than I had come from California and everything. Right. So we're talking about leadership here. Right. So I'm getting into the heart of the man. Mm. Okay, this is the heart of the man. What the value, where his values came from, why 
he was an immovable person. He was a rock, bedrock of beliefs. He believed what he believed in, and he believed in American, American values, and he believed 1,000% that if the light of American exceptionalism were to grow dim, the rest of the world would go into chaos. And he also believed that every person had a God-given right to freedom. And he also knew that socialism, communism, all the isms that were uh, an attempt to make people think that they were for the people were the opposite. They were to take wow. away. They were they were to take away the rights of individual freedom and individual liberty. And what happened? What would happen to the world if we have enough socialism and communism, and particularly at that time in the world that had millions of people had suffered death, poverty, destruction, uh, uh, you know, no hope, no no future. Uh, mm -hmm. through these through these systems right and he knew that and he wanted you know he almost became a preacher he almost went to he went to the almost went to theological school with his best friend after he graduated from college but i would say if he had done that and he became a minister he would have might have ministered to thousands but he became an evangel for millions because he would constantly preach about individual freedoms and individual liberty and their importance and the fact that the American Constitution protects those rights and that he was a staunch defender of those rights and that uh, no one was going to usurp his conviction to that. And, you know, the media would always say, oh, he's so boring. He says the same thing over and over again. Well, you know, repetition in communication, which is one of the things I talk about in my new bestseller, Winning Your Audience, is repetition is key to having your, your message understood. Even though people will say, oh, please, the same old thing. You know, he's saying the same. She's saying the same old thing over and over again. And, well, it's because repetition helps instill what you're, you're saying in, in the listener's thought, mind, and heart, right? So this is watching, learning, getting to work with, I mean, how many people get to work with one of the greatest leaders in the world at a time in particular when, because he was, I had to negotiate with the, with the Russia, the Soviets, with the Chinese, with people all over the world, uh, because I traveled with him to all the countries where he he went on state visits. I was in most in the traveling party with to most of those countries. So that gave me an opportunity to expand my understanding of international relations, bilateral, multilateral relations as well. But here was you talk about leadership. Uh, here is one extraordinary example of a person who most importantly, and to come back to something I mentioned a few minutes ago, egoless, mm. egoless. How rare is that, right? Most of us care even a little bit about what people think about us. I know I do. Sure. I, I, I do too much. I know that. I, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to what, you know, if a person doesn't like me or whatever. Reagan, zero. Zero. Didn't, didn't even measure on the meter. Now, I'll tell you why I learned this is important in leadership. And this is probably why we don't have much of it today. The reason it's critical to great leadership is because if you don't care what people think of you, you cannot be manipulated by them. Now, follow this for a minute. If you don't care, let's say someone comes and knocks on the Oval Office door. Oh, Mr. President, I want you to vote for this. You know, I want you to propose this. I want you to approve this. I want you to. Be 
but you don't want it. And then they say, well, you know, I'll promise you a million votes if you, you know, or I'll, you know, I'll contribute to your campaign or blah, 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 blah. Reagan, a lot of presidents would be, and we've had, we have some people right in the room, so to speak, right now who, who had egos, most of us do, but had egos and they were susceptible to that. Reagan was this unusual person. He didn't care what you thought of him. So he was immune from your control of his thought or his actions. So you saw Reagan, he leaves office after eight years, the exact same person as he Mm -hmm. entered. Now that's another rare thing. Most people, let's say they're, they're coming in to be the, I, I remember I had, I was having lunch with a friend of mine who was just moved as CEO, one position to another company. And I said, you know, I really think this time you should get rid of the company plane because it doesn't look good, you know, whatever. And he basically paid the bill, stood up and left, and I never talked to him again. So he, he didn't, you know, hey, I like to travel on private aviation as well. Don't get me wrong. But I was just saying that, obviously, that was kind of the opposite of Reagan. But you have this ability to see things unfettered by the way people want you to see them. Right. So if you're in a position of leadership, and let's, let's just take the Oval Office for a minute. People are lined up all day and night to talk to you, to get you to change your views, to accept what they think. Reagan was immovable. He was, and, and people would say he's, he's stubborn. He won't change his mind. People would have to go around his back. They get people fired. Her, his wife went around his back, you know, get people fired, get people hired. And because they, they couldn't find another way to influence him because he right. had no ego. Now you contrast that with Margaret Thatcher. So Thatcher, who I had, again, I had the extraordinary opportunity of meeting her any number of times. And, and I remember early on in the relationship between Reagan and Thatcher, Thatcher, I was at a luncheon at number 10 down, Downing Street with the president. And it, she had to get up and leave because she said, I'm sorry, Mr. President, you have to leave, stay and enjoy your dessert or whatever. And she said, I have to go over to House of Commons for uh, questions. And so I happened to just be it's very, very different, the, the PM's office there than the White House. So she was she didn't have an A, she didn't have anyone with her. She's like walking down the front steps uh, there inside at number 10. And so I, I was leaving the same time. So I walked down the stairs. She's just talking to me like, Jim, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think? She's in regard to the bottom and she's looking out the door and she said, gee, you know, I, you think I can, I need to get a car to go over to House of Commons. And I'm like, What? <laughs> yeah. You know, when the American president moves, every single step is calculated. Right. The limousine moves exactly in step with his steps, and the door opens precisely at the millisecond that he, you know what I mean? Everything is choreographed, right? So I see her. So then, okay, let's fast forward like 10 years later. I remember after I left the White House, I went to, or even eight years later, I, I was invited in London to go to one of her, in, in her party, uh, prime minister's party, to go to where she was, because um, she had to stand for re-election to go to her constituency, right? I mean, this lady had, unfortunately, she's, she began to believe in her own greatness. Mm-hmm. And that was her downfall. Right. So don't you think that kind of sums it up? Yeah. If you, yeah, if you yeah, look, I- at, look at the egoless Reagan, and you look at Thatcher, who did magnificent things, for the UK and for her country, you know, for, for her country and for the world. I mean, I had endless respect for her, but 
her her power and her influence was eclipsed by the fact that she had this ego in in the end you know she she believed in her greatness and i you know i think it's kind of a contrast because i had many opportunities to uh, spend time with the with the queen as well, and you look at these two women, and it is a you know it got to be a stark contrast because Thatcher obviously had a high sense of her self importance, and the queen is the most important person probably. I mean, I always say the American president's the most important job in the world at any given time with any occupant. I think the queen, you know, people will say, well, she doesn't really have any political power, but she's the only human being on the face of the planet who's actually read intelligence reports for 65 freaking years. Amazing. You know? she, she knows more about the history of the world than any yep. other living person. So, but anyway, I'll stop yeah, so, there. James, I think, you know, uh, what you shared before is about listen to the company and the people and the egoless side of things as well and not being able to be manipulated, but you as a leader doing what you need to do. Is, it's, it's really amazing. This. And you can see that being played out as we see leaders around the world. So I think you know what you said as well. The heart of the man, or the heart of the of a person as a leader, is to get is is to get and understand what their values are, and you know what Reagan shared with you and about his mother uh, and so forth. I think a lot of people they tend to not be interested in the person, and they sort of want to just get on and get what they want done. And I think it's so important to know what that person, what people are thinking, which is really cool. So, Jim, I've got a question here for you, because I think you've probably covered my first question, which is around who is your favorite leader and why. And maybe Reagan is that person, uh, unless you have somebody else who is a favorite leader uh, of yours, you know, alive or from history. Um, do you have us another one, or is it was Reagan that <laughs> favorite person? I'll give you, I'll give you uh, just one very quick example of a contemporary leader that I have extraordinary respect for. And his name is Jake Wood. And he went to many volunteer, voluntary duty assignments to Afghanistan. He endured many broken limbs, near-death experiences, absolutely heroic person. He comes back and he sees that the suicide rate right, among uh, military is so high. He's, he's perplexed by this. He's saddened by it. And he gets the idea that, well, people are in the military, they feel a purpose mm. to their life. All of a sudden they come back, they have no purpose. They have no, they have no team. They, ha- they, you know, the, the, maybe they're getting an hourly job or something. This is tragic. So he starts something called Team Rubicon. And this is absolutely my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite charity and organization in the whole world. And he, what he does is he deploys military type style managed teams to remediate hurricanes, fires, tornadoes, any place like recently they've been remediating where there's violence in in American cities. They go out, they go out in squads, these former military, and they are there to save people. Right. And I, I think Jake Wood is an absolute, incredible, total hero leader of mine. Yeah, awesome. So giving them a sense of purpose as well to get out there and do things, but leading it from the front, which is brilliant. Well, well, well. Hey, 
What do you reckon, team? That is just some brilliant stuff that both Richie and James have shared with us in relation to their experiences as both uh, somebody working with President Reagan and an author, but also someone who was an international sports star out there in business nowadays and so forth, and uh, both of them sharing some wonderful insights. And so I hope you got a lot of learning out of that and also got some notes, some great notes to, to take away. Hey, team, if you haven't already joined the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Chain, you would love to see you there on those two different platforms. And the other thing, too, is please go ahead and share this with three other people so then they're actually getting to experience these kind of things that we're sharing with our, with our guests, which is wonderful. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. We would love you to put a review and a rating because it really helps the show itself. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there is a question you have for my guests as I interview them, or a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode that happens once a week, feel free to send me an email, Dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. All right, team, always great having you with us. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.